Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Joe Maggio, please welcome. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Great. Well. <laughs> so, um, just to get a little bit of background before we get into this film, because um, which is is set in Chicago. I don't think it was originally written for Chicago. Uh, tell us a bit about what you were doing before Michael Mann came along. I mean, you you were in the police. You were cop for and detective for a long time. Right? Yeah, yeah. But that was I forget that I was. It was so long ago. <laughs> uh, yeah, I met Michael. Uh, they needed uh, some technical help on a film they were doing in Chicago, Thief. And uh, through a mutual friend, we met Michael and helped him yeah. on the set a little bit. Uh, yeah. And then one day he called and asked if I wanted to do a little part in the movie. You make it sound easy. So I mean, what it was, was kind of easy. Yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it was. It, it was fun. We went there, and uh, I was just uh, interested in the way things were on a movie set. I, of course, had never been on one, and uh, I was uh, interested in what was going on. There was you know, a lot of uh, action and a lot of equipment that I still don't know what it's for but it was uh it was fun to be there interesting to and be what there. was um you know you do really sort of have an effortless style uh what was your approach to sort of learning the craft of, i mean i'm starting with a sort of big question but your approach to learning the craft of acting because you, you really just make it seem like an easy thing to do but you're, you're a really special actor well uh, well thank you <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know with me it's always been pretty simple if someone sends me a script and i like it yeah uh, and I, you know, I can do it, and they want me to do it. I, uh, I do it. <laughs> okay. And uh, you know, I, I really never. I'm not one of those people that go and hide and stuff like that. I'm, okay. Uh huh. Do that. Or, or one of these people who spends months sort of doing method no. acting, preparing. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I wouldn't know how. <laughs> um. And you're great at, at cursing on, on screen. This is sort of one of the, you know, one of your natural talents is just your ability to curse, even in front of a, a girl, you know, in this yeah, film. But yeah. Yeah, where did that come from? Uh, well, <laughs> <laughs> that is natural. Yeah, okay. Uh, uh, it's funny because we would, you know, my parents wouldn't tolerate swearing in the house or anything. But as soon as I hit that street, boy, you know, the, yeah. the, you know it, it all came out and... Uh, uh, and, and and sometimes it, you know it's fun and, and sometimes it's appropriate. I think you can overdo it, you know. Yeah. And I hope I, I I hope I never do that because then it, it loses its impact a little bit. Yeah. Um, believe it or not, I've taken curse words out of a film, you mm. know, because I just so, thought it was too much. Yeah. I did. You did or yeah, did, I did. Yeah, before yeah, I did. we, um, it was one of the last things we. You know, we worked a lot on the script together. Dennis had ideas, and then. Um, one of the last things I remember you said, now, I think there may be too many fucks in there, basically. <laughs> and uh, so we went through and, and page by page and we removed, we moved quite a few. Yeah. yeah. There, was a lot, there were a lot of them and uh, <laughs> it just didn't seem appropriate. But I remember Joe telling me, when you talked a little, uh, to uh, Meredith, our, yeah. our little girl, Angela, uh, I just talked to her like she's another guy. 
Yeah, that was great, those yeah, scenes. Just, yeah. just talk to her like she's another guy, not a yeah. seven or eight-year-old little girl. <laughs> uh, so let me, I'll ask one thing, then we'll get into the film, but, but working with um, Gene Hackman. First of all, Get Shorty just is, is just one of the great movies about movie making and such a wonderful comedy. Um, what was, you know, Gene Hackman, what, what's it like working with him and then finding out that what you're going to do with him is... is Beat you know, beat the crap out of him. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> it's a little funny because I, you know, I I read uh, Elmore Leonard just uh, you know as a matter of course, and I and I read uh, Get Shorty, and I said, boy, oh boy, this would be a good movie someday. And it seems to me that it was a month or so later I got a call from Danny DeVito, uh, uh, his office, and him, and uh, asked me to come to a table reading of uh, Get Shorty. Yeah, and then. It, Right after that, we were doing it, it seems yeah. like. But my memory, you know, is... Hmm. Uh, and I'm a big fan of Gene Hackman's. I think he's, you know, probably the best around nowadays. But uh, my my big concern was I didn't want to hit him with that phone. You know, I didn't... <laughs> I was a little afraid, you know, and I... We rehearsed it, and, and, and I don't know if you've ever seen him, but he's a formidable guy. He's a big guy. And, uh, you know, he's a Marine and, you know, all of that stuff. And I didn't want to, you know, get Gene Hackman mad at me. So he says, no, don't worry about it. Don't worry. He says, just come as close as you can. We'll be okay. I said, okay. You know, and I, 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 I kept coming closer and everything. But he, he was right there. He was, he was in it. And we were throwing each other around that office pretty good, you know. Yeah. He was great. He was great about it. Uh, uh, so let's, let's talk about this film. It's... Um I guess if I, I just want to start sort of asking you how it, you know, how it came about. It really has the feeling of something that's very personal. Um, so first of all, how did, you, you know, how did you decide to write it? And then, of course, I do want to hear about how, you, how the casting went. But go ahead. Um, well, it is large, uh, Joe May largely inspired by um, my maternal grandfather. Um, no, not exactly Joe May, but very <laughs> Joe May-like in, in many ways. He was... Um, you know, did a, had a number of different jobs. He was a prize fighter. He was a um, he was a salesman. He always trunk was always full of things like cookie jars or well transistor radios, what anything anything he could sell. And uh, he sold wine for for a period of time. I remember. Um, and um, but he was, you know, he was always upbeat. He was always up. He was he would be out all night. Always, you know, his hair impeccably combed. Always, he would never leave if he wasn't, you know, close shaven and um, always looked great in his clothes. And he was not a rich guy, you know, but he kept his clothes. Always looked amazing, and um, and he'd be out all night um, smoking and drinking and and you know shaking people's hands and. And then he'd be the first guy up in the morning. You know, we spent a lot of time with him. He was always up first thing in the morning. Um, he would, you know, give us a bowl of Cheerios. And, and he was just this, you know, hmm. cooking for everyone and stuff. So, um, so you know, inspired by stories that, that, you know, over the years had been told about my grandfather. And he wound up actually dying not quite so gloriously. So I thought um, hmm. uh, that uh, it would be great to redeem him somehow and let let him, you know, let him go out with a, a bang uh, in a movie. So, but then there were other films that had sort of inspired me at the time. Umberto D, if you've seen that, sure, the um, Victoria De Sica, yeah, yeah Victoria De Sica, Umberto D on Atlantic City, which is one mm. of my all-time favorite films. I love um, Burt Lancaster in that film. In fact, I was afraid it might be too 
similar the way he looks the way he dresses the whole you know the whole thing but hmm. whatever you know um so so those were sort of the the inspirations going into it and so you know both those films uh that you mentioned require great actor in the lead they're really portrait films i mean you're in, in just about every scene so how did how did you come to do this you know get involved well we um we originally were going to shoot it in brooklyn it was set in brooklyn hmm. and um we had um financing and um through bill strauss who's here in the back um row there looks like lex luther um <laughs> <laughs> he uh bill had put put together financing with an ex uh, a former nba guy who had a big entertainment company uh and we were shooting in new york and we were looking around for actors you know that we thought would work we wanted it to have that authentic brooklyn feel so we were looking for like brooklyn guys and then shortly after we got started uh the economy fell apart and and this uh, the nba guy um got cold feet and I think he disbanded his company or something but we lost our financing and Bill had worked with Stephanie Striegel who's another producer on Joe May um, uh, at New Line and she was now running Dennis's Dennis uh, as a company um, uh, development company mm-hmm. and so he said let's send it to Dennis Farina and you know see what they say and Dennis you guys read it right away and, and you were interested and and we just knew that, I mean, I think of Dennis as, uh, as Chicago. I mean, when I, you know, when I hear Dennis or look at him, I think Chicago. There's just no other place that he can be from. And Bill felt very, Bill is originally from Chicago. He felt very strongly that we would have to move things to Chicago. And so um, we met with Dennis and, and he agreed that that would be a good idea and that he would help us to resituate it. You know, we had to change some some quite a bit of stuff actually but, so. and and this was filmed in near areas where you that you were very familiar with uh yeah I, uh, actually filmed in the neighborhood that would have been just a little south of where i was born and raised in an area they call uh the patch hmm. uh, i was raised in an area years ago that they used to call little sicily so but i was familiar with uh with the area and uh we picked the area because Joe wanted a piece of pizza one day. <laughs> and uh, there's this wonderful uh, bakery called the Mottos. Hmm. And they have nice, thick uh, uh, pan pizza. Hmm. And it was on the corner of Grand and May. And Joe said, look, Grand Avenue and May, just like Joe May. <laughs> and then we looked around and everything we needed was really within a four or five block area. We shot most of it right there. It was actually the last neighborhood that we'd seen. We'd seen. We'd spent days looking at all neighborhoods. We went as far as we went to Gary, Indiana. I mean, we were we were driving everywhere, yeah. and finally, de- very early on, when I had first gone to Chicago, Dennis had said we were driving around, and Dennis just pointed down the street, said, "By the way, if you like sheet pizza down there, Damato's Bakery, you got to get a pizza." And just that was it. Like, didn't even finish the sentence. But I like food. I like pizza, and I. I kept it in my head and um and so after all these days of location scouting i said you know dennis had mentioned once this this place for sheet pizza let's just just go let's call it a day and let's go get some sheet pizza and um and that's that was Damato's, and we wound up yeah so what's tell us your sort of view of joe may he's such a great character you know somebody who um the way you were describing your grandfather he sort of keeps a kind of dignity you know no matter how 
kind of pathetic his situation might be, you know, that, that coat that he's so proud about and just the way he sort of, he has a sort of code, you know, you feel like he has a private code. Uh, yeah. yeah, he does. I think he, uh, and he wears that coat like a, you know, like a cape of, you know, of, of royalty. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> and I think he, do, he, he does have a code, you know, and it may not work for everyone else, but it's certainly something that has worked for him. Yeah. Through the years, and uh, that's why I think he doesn't get involved uh, uh, romantically with. Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. He has yeah. the opportunity. I mean, that that's a sort of nice moment. Can you? Yeah. Did you see that maybe going differently? I wanted it to go differently, but Dennis, <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. No, no, no. Um, uh, absolutely. I mean, that was that was something that we Dennis and I agreed on um, uh, very early on. Was that um, you know Joe's had you know a series of losses the guy no one takes him seriously and um he's kind of a joke and you know in the neighborhood but but he does have a uh, you know his his ideals and a code and he lives up to it and he you know he's a very principled guy in many ways and and at the same time he's he's flawed but um it's not that he doesn't have um ideals it's that um you know time has 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 moved on and, and the things that he values the things you know um, his code is is it's like devalued currency. You know, he's yeah. it's he's holding Confederate dollars or something. <laughs> um, yeah. So, but he definitely is very. I think you know he has his rules and he he lives you know abides by them. I so. said something in the beginning, you know, in the introduction, that I wonder what you both think about um, that. This film to me evoked an earlier type of American er, earlier period in American film, which of the seventies, movies like um, um, Eddie Doyle with Ro- you know the Robert Mitchum film. I'm wondering if either of you sort of had that in mind. It really has that, that kind of atmosphere. Uh, well, Joe certainly did, uh, and uh, I, it happens that we we both uh, like those kinds of films. Yeah. Uh, and he mentioned to me, he said, "Think of Eddie Coyle, the Friends of Eddie Coyle, the Robert Mitchum movie." And uh, I, I I rented it again. I watched it, and hmm. and I liked it. It was you know it was much better when I saw it later. And he was uh, Joe's influenced by Umberto D. Yeah, and even I mean, even the na- like those films. Some of those films they had the long, you know, uh, the killing of a Chinese bookie, the friends of Eddie Quall. I wanted it to have a long name like that, you know, <laughs> the last rites of Joe May. To me, it sounds like a movie from from that period. But yeah. I just, you know, um, it felt to me like from that the early seventies, Hollywood was making some really great, great like what would now be, you know, independent. Films. I mean, yeah. really taking chances on characters and really, um, um, you know, great acting, great story. Um, and it wasn't just all action. You know, there was a lot of character uh, development. And I really wanted it to have that kind of feeling. And I think Joe looks, you know, if you took a snapshot of Joe May, he could be from from that period. You know, the, everything he's wearing is, is circa 1973 or 74, you know. Um, so de- definitely was very interested, not in making a pastiche, but, you know, having it be, be a, like an homage to, to those films for sure. So, and I think Joe May is a great, you know, character, a great anti-hero. you know, yeah. um, much like, you know, Eddie Coyle or, um, um, uh, in the killing with Chinese bookie and Ben Gazzara's character is, uh, oh, what's his name? I forget his name now, but, um. You know these these guys that are just so imperfect, but have a code, and yeah. but you know it's just the world has just sort of changed in such a way that 
there's no place for them anymore. So, were you kind of drawing on people that you knew, maybe from your days in Chicago, sort of characters? Or? Not not consciously, but yeah. I, I certainly you know have known uh, guys like Joe May, and I still know a few of them. There's, uh, <laughs> and uh, they they've seen the movie. They go, oh, yeah, good, good, good. That's a, good. That's a good. <laughs> you know, you shouldn't have mentioned the Fugazi watches. You know, they're still they st- you know they see policemen in their you know in their suit. And, <laughs> You know, don't mention, you know, but it was good. Uh, yeah, so, I, you know, I, I knew guys like that. But but I think it's a mistake, anyway, for me to bring some preconceived notion into yeah. uh, a film. And yeah. uh, I, I, I never do. I never bring any past experience or anything like that into it. Uh, because then you have to talk yourself out of it if the director has another vision of the movie, you know. Yeah. And all the things that you thought you wanted to do, if Joe says, well, I don't want you to do that, then you've got to start all over again. So I'd rather go in with a blank slate. Yeah. And what was it like, and I'll open it up to the audience after this, but just um, having the, the opportunity to really have a whole film. I mean, to, to, you know, we're so used to um, your great character work, and it was just sort of wonderful for people who appreciate your acting to be able to see this character develop, um, you know, at... at at the sort of nice pace of the film, and to really, this is such a great showcase. But yeah, yeah, I was, yeah, it was, I was a little surprised, you know, because when they <laughs> when they when they sent me the movie, I kept, I saw Joe May, and then you know, I I, I kept seeing Joe May on the page, and you know, and I was saying, do they really want me to play Joe May, or am I? Are you going to? Because usually I would be Lenny, or I would be, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Chelsea Ross's character, or you know, some right. I don't know, uh, you know, which are good characters, but but yeah, which are which are wonderful characters, (laughs) and that's where I really, you know, I thought uh, that's what they wanted me for. I said they want me (laughs) to do Joe May. They said, said, "Well, okay, I'll do it." You know, I I liked it right away. I mean, I was just uh, I read it and uh, and I I liked it. I related to it right away. Okay, so. Actually, I, I will ask this, before, and then uh, then I promise I'll throw it open. But just, what's the directing style? What's it like to direct Dennis Farina? Uh, not to put you on the spot or oh, anything. Oh no, not at all. Um, you know, I in the past I'd worked very much in a um, you know ensemble style where I would work with the actors a lot um, for several months sometimes before um, we'd actually start shooting. We'd work on the script together. Um, sit around, have convers- long conversations about the character. Um, and I didn't really get to do that so much. as well, we, we did talk about it. We talked about it a lot. We went through the script quite a bit. But, um, you know, it wasn't that up on the feet, like actually going through the scenes kind of thing. And, and some of the actors, you know, I, I met on five minutes before we, we started shooting. But with Dennis, um, I have to say it was a little bit I was a little intimidated. It took me maybe a day and a half, I feel like, before I felt comfortable telling you that I wanted something else or if, I, if you were doing something, just making adjustments. Because um, he would beat you up every time. No, yeah. Well, you know, he's a big guy, but um, <laughs> not, not for that. It was just, um, I don't know, I was just intimidated, I, I have to be honest. And, I mean, when we first, you know, when I arrived on the first day, um, I, you know, I just saw the size of the, uh, you know, all the trucks and the Teamsters parking and the trailers and things like that. And I got very frightened. I, I felt like I was sort of overwhelmed by the weight of, of the production. I'd always done, 
you know, on most of my films, I'm I'm cooking lunch for people. I'm driving everyone around <laughs> in a van. You know, so this it was very. And then to have Dennis walk on, and and for me to be trying to tell him what to do was it was a little intimidating. So, but um, you know, I'll say that you you were you knew all of your lines, always. You were absolutely had made. Your, your decisions beforehand. So we had something to work with. So it was very easy. What's difficult is when someone shows up and they don't know their lines and they're not really, they haven't really made any choices yet. And then you're just sort of having to create everything from, from the beginning. So, but we were pretty close in, in our, in yeah, our we interpretation. Yeah, we pretty much agreed on, you know, on the overall theme of the movie, uh, what, what his character was, yeah. uh, how he treated his relationship uh, between Jenny and uh, and uh, Angela, and uh, his big note to me always, and it, and it, it was hard for me to 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 do uh, when I did the scenes with the little girl. I you always want to hug her, you know, and you want to you know you want to protect her and do like you know and 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 do the you know the manly thing, you know, I guess. And he used to tell me, "Don't, don't be nice to that little girl. Don't, mm. don't fall in love with that little girl. Just you be your Joe May. You haven't got time to fool around with her. And you're this." And I used to call him the Prince of Darkness. I, you know, because this, this little girl came on the set and she was so cute. And but he was absolutely right. It's great you know? chemistry because you feel like she's kind of tough too. So yeah, it's and she's of, it's like a respect. And and. Yeah. And if that happens, you know, if you it becomes a different movie. Yeah. And if you if you have some kind of a relationship with Jenny, it's a different movie, you know. And Joe didn't want to make that movie, and largely I didn't either. Yeah. And, you know. Okay, so raise your hands if you have a question, and I'll I'll repeat so everybody can hear. Go ahead. How long did it well take to get and you know to sort of find that chemistry that you had with that um, young actress, or was that just sort of happened naturally? Well, I, I, I met her. Uh, they called me. They said, we think we have the little girl. You, you come on into the casting office. And I went in there, and I saw her face, and I, you know, I thought she was just, it was just right. You know, it, 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 it wasn't that she was so gorgeous or anything. It's just that it was just right. Yeah, and, and, uh, and she wanted to, we did one scene with her, and, uh, and she... Uh, uh, somebody told me this story. I forgot it. Someone rem- reminded me of it. That she wanted to do another scene, and I said, "Well, you, you know, you really don't have to, but if if you want to, uh, we will." And uh, I said, well, "What scene do you want to do?" She says, "I want to do the scene where I say shit." So <laughs> we said, "Okay." So we did that scene. I think Bill reminded me of that. Yeah. So then I, you know, I mean, she. She had a sense of humor about herself, too. She was wonderful, wonderful to work with. <laughs> Following in your footsteps there. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, teach, <laughs> teach him young. Teach him young. <laughs> Good mentor. Okay. Dan, right in front here. You know, there were, it seems to me there were a lot of people involved from Steppenwolf, the theater. Uh, oh, okay, yeah. There were a lot of people that I had always enjoyed their work mm-hmm. in the movies and in the theater. Could you comment on Yeah, that? could you talk about the Steppenwolf Theater Company, a great uh, theater company in Chicago, and how they were involved? Sure. I, I um, uh, years ago, um, my first film and my first few films actually came out of an ensemble that um, I uh, had, you know, working with uh, people from the actor's studio. 
and Steppenwolf for us was like you know uh, you know the Grail. I mean, it was just absolutely the ideal of, of you know at what they were doing in Chicago and what they had achieved um, just seemed like something we really always aspired to. And I always kept it in the back of my mind that, you know, I'd love to somehow get involved with them, you know, in some way. So when we decided that we were going to shoot in Chicago, I told Bill, you know, why don't we try and get Steppenwolf involved somehow? Either they could offer us production support, you know, anything. I don't know what, some actors we could cast in their facilities, whatever. And uh, it turns out they have Steppenwolf Films, which is a film arm of Steppenwolf. And... um, uh, they read the, Tim Evans who was running that read it and really loved the script and they came on as producers so we wound up casting a lot of the, the actors there and they provided us with uh, a lot of um, production support as really well. helped us get over the hump to have them there and they've always been very very nice they're all especially Tim Evans and, and just really nice good people hmm. okay over here yeah Okay, so what advice would you give to twenty one twenty one year old actor? Yeah. Well, it depends if he has a uh, if if he director, has a, sorry, uh, uh, if he has a, a role in the picture for me or not depends. <laughs> Will all depend on my my answer? No, I would say uh, I would I I would say it, don't get discouraged. You have to have a lot of patience, and uh, don't let anyone uh, sway him. Just keep doing it. You know, and if, if if you can make a film with one person, or just get a camera in his hand, or or be around a, be an audio uh, something or another, just let him do it, and and don't get discouraged. I would say, and patience. You have to have a lot of patience. I mean, even when you're, it's funny. I won't mention his name, but I was I was in uh, uh, in California some months ago, and I was sitting down with a pretty big shot director. And he was saying, God, where's, you know, my next job? I can't. And I was saying, my, you know, this guy just came off of a huge. He's going, I don't know, man, if I'm ever going to work again and stuff like that. So, you you know, and, and and, and, and this business is full of stuff like that. But don't let him discourage it. If he loves it, let him go ahead and do it. What was it like for you when you decided to move out to L.A.? You sort of took a, that was taking a plunge for you, wasn't it? Well, I didn't move to L.A. You didn't. Thanks okay. for following my career, but I never. <laughs> <laughs> but what, well, you went out. But no, you, took I, a, you, you decided to to well, leave, I, leave I, uh, your job as a detective, and I, I, yeah. I worked a lot in L.A. Yeah, yeah. no, it, you know it. I'd always I always Chicago. You, always lived in Chicago. Yeah, I always yeah. lived in Chicago. I, I tell you what happened uh, for me is, is someone told me one day that you know you will not have to make that decision. It somehow. It will be made for you. And sure enough, you know, they were right. Hmm. And, you know, there comes that time when 
when when you you do have that does happen. But I would tell him not to get discouraged. Let him work and do whatever he wants to do. Okay. Anybody else over here? So could you talk about Making Big Trouble, which is one of his favorite films, but not, yeah. not a huge box I'll, office I, I, hit? I'll yeah. tell you what happened with uh, Big Trouble, and there was another movie I did at the same time um, called The Sidewalks of New York. The Ed Burns film, yeah. The Ed Burns film, yeah. who I worked with a couple times. He's a, I don't know if you... He's just a wonderful guy, and he's, yeah. uh, I think, a really good filmmaker and a lot of fun to be around. Um, I came to New York uh, to do publicity for both of them. Uh, Big Trouble, as you know, is about sneaking a bomb on an airplane. And we were here on September 11th. So that movie you know, went by the wayside for a long time uh, because that's what the subject matter is. And in Sidewalks of New York, uh, at the time, they were very skittish about uh, showing the Twin Towers. And we were always uh, either in front of the uh, Twin Towers or the Twin Towers were uh, in the background somewhere. So they were a little sensitive about showing that. Yeah, didn't so, the, the poster, I think, had the Twin Towers. The, and the film was had, made before the yeah, 9-11. Right, before, and we were, uh, I was uh, uh, at the Peninsula Hotel when all of that happened that day. So... Consequently, the film never uh, got out. So wow. That's what happened. Okay, right down front here. Thank you. Okay, uh, two great performances. Code of Silence and Midnight Run, which is yeah, one of your most beloved roles. Yeah, Code of Silence with, uh, uh, with Chuck Norris. Uh, uh, again, a lot of fun to do. It was uh, directed by Andy Davis, uh, and uh, we did it in Chicago. It was uh, one of the, I think maybe the second or third film that I did, and uh, and I, I I like Chuck Norris. He was just he was just a good guy. And at Midnight Run, we uh, I did in Las Vegas. I was doing Crime Story at the time. Right. Yeah. Oh, thank you. And uh, uh, and uh, I I happened to be off for a couple of weeks, and I got offered uh, Midnight Run, and I talked to Michael Mann. I said, I have an offer to do a movie. What's the movie? Uh, Midnight Run. Uh, who's in it? Uh, Robert De Niro. Who's directing it? It's Martin Brest. Yeah, you got to do the movie. <laughs> so he says, go ahead and do the movie if you need a few extra days or whatever. Just go ahead and do it. But I had a, a wonderful time doing it. Uh, Robert De Niro has always been very nice to me. And uh, Martin Brest was our director. We had a lot of fun. Charles Grodin was in the movie. And... Uh, and, and Martin Bress gave us, uh, all of us, you know, uh, a lot of leeway with uh, language again and, you know, ad-libs and improv and stuff like that. Oh, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. <laughs> it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Who found the jacket in this film, your coat, your leather coat? Uh, I did. Uh, the, the wardrobe girls came through with all of the wardrobe and I... And I I, I saw this jacket and I said, "Boy, this is really Joe Maine." I, I, I hope uh, Joe Maggio approves it. So I, I ran it by Joe, and, and we did the same thing. When I was uh, when I did get shorty, I was uh, yeah. th they sent some wardrobe through, and I saw a pink sport coat. 
And I said, that's it. That's, that's Ray Barboni. That's wow. a, give me that pink sport coat. And that's how I find my character from my clothes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and uh, tell us, you're working with Michael Mann again. I just do want to ask about the, the project you're working on now. It sounds great. The series that you're doing for HBO called Luck. Yeah, we're doing a show called Luck over at HBO with myself and Dustin Hoffman and Nick Nolte. Uh, Joan Allen is in it, uh, and uh, Kevin Dunn and Michael uh, Gambone. Uh, it's and it's about uh, racetracks, about what's happening to racetracks nowadays, and they're all kind of having a bad time. And it's about the uh, the big story is uh, casinos taking over racetracks, and who's going to run those casinos? Who's going to operate them? Where's the money coming from? You know, there's a lot involved. How do, how do you deal with the Indian casinos? All of that stuff gets explored in the series. This may be a question either of you can answer, but uh, how do you feel about TV versus film these days? Like, we're seeing all these great actors working on HBO. It's such a pleasure with this movie to just see, see it on the big screen. It has so much atmosphere in it. Um, you know, it really captures Chicago, and it's just a great, it really is a big screen movie. And um, was it a hard, you know, was it a hard film to get made? And do you feel like, um, you know, what is this atmosphere out there now for making films like this? Um, it was hard to get. I mean, I think all films, I mean, every film is, I, I think everyone is having a hard time getting their, their films made now. Like you said, I mean, even the big directors that you, would, you can't imagine would have, you know, uh, any, any trouble at all. Um, it's always, you know, it's a lot of, takes a lot of money and people are very risk averse with their, with their money these days. So, um, but it was actually originally the script, I intended it, it to be part of a 10 part series that I wanted to do for something like HBO or something. Mm -hmm. I could never get any traction anywhere. I got a little, got far with Showtime and then eventually they, they dropped it. But, um, I wanted to redo um, Kozlowski's Decalogue, actually, mm. and set it in Brooklyn and have the stories intertwining. And I was wow. going to say, that's one of the things about television that is, was for me, would be very exciting, is to be able to develop something slowly over time and not have it be limited to you know an hour and a half or an hour and 40 minutes. Um, so, so that yeah, this this was originally supposed to be a chapter in 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 that decalogue. Um, hmm. So, but um, TV, I think, is very exciting. I think some of the the best stuff I'm seeing is is on TV on HBO or yeah, you know. Yeah, I agree. I, I you know some of the stuff on HBO is a lot better than a lot of the stuff that's at the movies nowadays. Oh yeah, yeah and they're yeah. very. I mean, they're very nice. They treat you nicely. They they give you a chance to develop stuff. They're not going to take you off the air in the first ten minutes. You know, uh, uh, like they do at the network, and especially now at networks. Boy, if you don't make it in the first three weeks or so, you're gone. There's no there's no looking back. Yeah. Uh, okay, right here. Then we, we'll, yeah, just do one more. Go ahead. I always consider filming in Italy. My <laughs> my parents were from Italy, and uh, uh, I would love to go there. And uh, I go almost every year uh, to visit. Uh, I would love to work there. Uh, okay. Yeah, good if tip. Finds, uh, right. If he finds a nice spot in Florence or someplace like that, give us a call. You're in, right? 
the one detail I wanted to ask about was, uh, which I was interested to read about, was the pigeons. Because you, you know, you, you, um, I read that you were had to make convince yourself that there could be pigeons in Chicago. Be- well, yeah. not not like not that. pigeons so much, but pigeon coops. I really yeah. wasn't sure if there were pigeon coops in Chicago. I mean, we all know that in New Jersey and New York, and you know. Uh, uh, that they're they're all over, but I wasn't sure about Chicago. So we did the research, and and there are pigeon coops in Chicago. They're not legal, but they're there, and we're not telling anybody where we found ours. So. <laughs> um, that's right. I'm no stool pigeon. <laughs> okay. Oh. I'm sure somewhere. I mean, but uh, um, no, not not that I'm aware of, but probably from the same part of Sicily. I'm sure. So, actually, May is is uh, Maggio is um, May means May in Italian. So, so it's the last <laughs> rites of Joe Maggio <laughs> could be the last movie of Joe Maggio. I don't know. <laughs> yes. Thank you. <laughs> you know what? I mean, I, I'm a big Hemingway fan. So, and and um, he, you know, although Hemingway was not a filmmaker, I, I do subscribe to a lot of his ideas about writing. And um, you know, he's he's wrote once that you know, um, you know, writing fiction is not knowing what to put in; it's knowing what to take out. And, you know, the script was very, sh- I mean, I really, I felt trimmed it down to as absolutely, you know, as, as minimal as it, as, it, as it could get. And so it does, I think, maybe have a, a bit of the Hemingway influence, I hope, you know, and that it is very, you know, people don't talk more than they need to talk. Um, and, um, you know, things are very terse. And um, so, yeah, I think that's a very appropriate um, uh, analogy. Thank you very much. Tell her about the meat scene. What happened? How you came about the, <laughs> the meat scene? What do you the, mean? the meat scene. What about it? How you came about to write it? I don't remember. How did I come about to write it? <laughs> we went down to the meat market. Yeah. And you said you had to get the meat market in the in the movie. Oh yeah. We oh, tell them the it. story. That's it. That's it. We <laughs> went down to the meat market and we went to. Um, De- Den- did you know him, Dennis Cipetti? How did we end up there? Uh, 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 the location manager knew uh, uh, the Cipettis yeah. uh, from the meat market. So we went, and um, you know, it's Chicago, and uh, it's the, the famous, you know, the stockyards, and um, and when we walked in there, um, it's just overwhelming. I mean, the uh, you know the the sea of of uh, animal carcasses and. Um, and it was, I thought it was beef, but it was actually lamb. And it just seemed so appropriate to me that it be 
that, it, that were, there were all these slaughtered lamb everywhere. And you could actually, there was another room where you could hear them. There's a pen of live lamb. And they're, you know, they're, was it baying? What did what lamb do? Um, and I felt that um, it was an appropriate thing for Joe because he really is like the, the slaughtered lamb. I mean, he's this guy that, uh, that is being led to, uh, to his, his demise. So I thought seeing him carrying that meat around would be, would be really um, uh, a powerful image. Um, Great ending, though, with a dog, too. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just and per- a punishment per- for me, right? To carry that meat I all think, around. You know what? I think, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was a punishment. Is that what you felt? Yeah. It was, yeah. Well, what happened was... How long, how long did you... F- originally, yeah. the, the production designer had said that um, we legally could not carry real meat around. It was a health violation and a health... Yeah. And this was a union... Shoot. I mean, it, everything was like... Union rule. I mean, act. The, uh, uh, Meredith would be pulled out from under my nose, like, and you know, with five minutes' notice because she had to have her tutor at a certain time. I mean, it was really everything was really on the up and up. So they told me I cannot use real meat. I was, I thought, all right. Well, what are we going to do? And she said, we'll make uh, a resin meat. It will look. We'll wrap it up. It'll look just like real meat. So the day. That, that we were shooting in the day we were going to shoot that scene the next day and they brought me the meat and it was like that scene in um, um, a Spinal Tap where the Stonehenge is only um, two inches big it was supposed to be so yeah. the meat was it was 18 it was, inches instead of 18 feet yeah, it, was yeah. Like, it, was, it looked like something you could tuck under your arm and, and walk around so I was like this, this just isn't going to do it so we, we, we did actually then go Chipetti, Dennis Chipetti cut us a big slab and it was so i could barely pick it up i don't know how you were carrying this thing around and it was very sloppy and wet and and um so and you did you hauled that thing around for a few days because we we didn't get all the scenes of him trying to sell it at once we um we'd be shooting somewhere and i'd say oh that looks like a good back alley let's get these guys get the get the uh, waiter clothes put, throw some of the extras in uh, and Dennis would get the meat and then go and, and, and pretend to try and sell it. And, um, and the final, the dog, I, I have to tell one story about the dog, though. We, yeah. we, the guy that did the birds, the pigeons, also did the dogs. And when I met him, he said, um, I'm going to be completely honest with you. I'm a dog specialist. I don't know anything about birds or pigeons, but I'm going to help you guys. I'm, I'll hope, I hope I can find some pigeons that we could get them to to do what you need them to do. So we shot the pigeons first, and it was amazing. The guy showed up. He had hundreds of pigeons, and just, he'd let them go, and they'd circle, and they'd come back and do, you know, it was like they were just doing everything we wanted them to do. So I thought, I remember saying to Jay Silver, the, uh, the, the director of photography, wow, this guy doesn't know anything about pigeons, and this is what we got this dog is going to be fantastic. Uh-oh. Oh, no. <laughs> and I had told him, he said, what kind of dog do you want? I said, I want a mean, nasty, missing hair, patch, mangy, junkyard dog, like the kind of dog that you see and you immediately run and jump on the nearest car because you know this thing is coming for you. He's like, I have just the dog, Joe. I've got the dog, really. <laughs> and the night again, it's always at the last minute, we showed up, Light was just right, and I go over to his truck, and he opens it, and he's got in the back a border collie 
that looked like Lassie. Clean, beautiful, and prancing around. And I was like, are you kidding? This is the, I was like, this, he said, this is a very mean dog. And I was like, but it looks like Lassie. I mean, this just isn't going to work. When we tried, and, and he, the way he'd done it was Dennis was going to hold the meat, but he also had a tennis ball that the dog was going to go for it. And we tried, and the dog was just jumping around and licking Dennis, and it was just a disaster. <laughs> so then we wound up, someone found online, these guys, they, it looked, they, they looked like characters out of Deliverance. They came, the ones, I, you know, it was just, it was bizarre. They were, you know, I was, could hear the banjo music. Uh, and they had, then they had that dog, and that dog was, was a mean dog. <laughs> I was worried about Dennis. I really was. When that thing went at, the first time it went at you, I thought it was going to bite your hand off. I mean, so. so. you took a little abuse for this film with the meat and. The- I took a lot of abuse, actually. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then, and then meat was always bleeding through. Yeah. You know, and the blood would come out, and, you know, it was sticky, and it was, it was cold, and. Uh, and then this dog came along, the second dog, which, yeah. and we couldn't, we couldn't stop him. You know, he was just coming at that meat all the time. You know, I kept, I told Joe, keep shooting, man, because, <laughs> and then he was, you know, he hang, he hung on, and I was lifting him up. He's dangling and everything. We couldn't, we couldn't get rid of him. It's one take. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you'd work with Joe again, still? Ah, well, I don't know about that. <laughs> 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 okay, last question, then we're gonna wrap it up. Yeah. Okay. I love the film, but I want someone to comment about the photography. Mm. Photography. Thank Beautiful you. photography. Yeah, Jay yeah. Silver, yeah, director of photography. Um, he's a um, good friend of mine. Um, we needed, it, the way we got him, we needed, um, for tax purposes, we needed an Illinois-based director of photography. And we were looking at all these guys that I had never met in Chicago, and they were all wonderful people, but... I just wanted, you know, it's important to have a personal relationship with your director of photography. And I was complaining about this, that I was going to have to work with a complete stranger um, to a friend of mine, who Larry Fessenden, who's a hmm. filmmaker in, in New York. And he said, uh, oh, you know, I think Jay Silver's got an Illinois driver's license. You should give him a call. And um, so I called Jay, and he still had his Illinois driver's license. He was from Chicago originally. But, yeah, I mean, he's been in New York forever. And... Um, so, um, and I'd known Jay for a long time, and so that's how he was by accident, and he turned out to be a, such a great um, co-creator. I mean, he really, uh, and it was hard and cold, and he had a, we, were, we shot on the red, which is a gigantic camera. A lot of it was handheld, and, um, you know, to be standing out in Chicago in December, um, the lenses freezing up, and, but the whole look, he really, he came to me and he said, you know, Want you, he said, I want you to watch these movies. But the um, one movie that we really felt we wanted to somewhat emulate because it was using, we thought, really effectively the widescreen um, was um, Michael Clayton. And we, I liked the colors. I liked the way, you know, it was very dark and, and a lot of the time they weren't afraid to let the characters just completely go black, and which is something that we, we did. Yeah. And, um, and we also, we had um, this special chip that had just come out for the red camera, which allowed you to shoot full to 2.35, which is that very wide screen. And we wanted to utilize, not just have it be a wide screen with a big head or something, you know, like really use to, to capture the city, um, that the, the wide aspect ratio. So, um, and he just, it was great. I mean, I didn't have to worry about the camera at all. I just focused on 
keeping Dennis in line. And <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, you guys both did uh, amazing work on this film, so thanks so much for being here today. Thank you, thank, thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.